the cadet stared at the soldier in front of her. The guy was massive. And the guy was, was him. Him. The cadet couldn't believe it. She had posters of the soldier in her childhood bedroom. Every kid did. The guy was a legend, a hero. And there was no mistaking it was him, that jawbone, the signature holster with gold snaps at his hip, and the black freckles. It was a family trait. She knew all this thanks to the stats on his collectible war card. And God, those shoulders, just as big in real life, she thought. But the shot quickly wore off. Something was messed up. The soldier had his eyes closed, was muttering, or rather rocking, slowly, forward and back. And the holster was empty. The gun was in his hand, and the tip of the barrel was pointed directly at his skull. Nothing extinguished the fire inside Quinlan's head. It was just pure burning. felt like his head would explode, just chunks everywhere. He needed water, but the crick was about 50 yards from him. God damn it, he thought. A repeat of yesterday. But he went there. Each step felt like needles pushing into him. His vision started to blur. He potted his eyes, and it was no use. His brain felt like it was popping out his skull. Now, much later, Quinlan Cole would learn that there's nothing quite like the first time you kill with lacinite. Soldiers call it the kickback, and it's the main drawback of the substance. Simply put, it fucks with your head, way down deep, because lacinite attacks the brain at the molecular level. Medics explain it as a series of charges going off in the head, like microscopic aneurysms. Now, Dr. Gerard Paul Lacin had originally designed the first version of lacinite as a toy, sort of like hands-free sculpting clay. People would be able to move, mash, and manipulate the material into things like zoo animals simply by concentration. As you well know, it never made it to the shelf. For one, not everyone could use lacinite, only a certain select few. People that could shut off outside noise and focus entirely in the present. It's a smaller number than one would think. But the bigger hindrance was when the military caught wind of it. For some time, the generals at Central needed a way to improve covert operations. Bombs were too bloody, killed innocents, and hurt diplomatic relations. Snipers, while good, took too long to train and worked in pairs. Those with the purse strings referred to the program as bloated. They wanted to do more with less. So the generals turned to lacinite. And so they challenged Dr. Lacin. Try to create a similar metal that could alter its shape at high speeds. How fast? Dr. Lacin replied. About the speed of a bullet, they answered. Dr. Lacin got it. They wanted him to create a kinetic killer. Now he resisted at first. He told them he got into material science to better the world, to blah blah this and blah blah that. The generals nodded and scribbled some numbers on a napkin. Enough zeros to triple his retirement. So Dr. Lason created a prototype. A pellet gun. And a beautiful one at that. It shot just fine. And after a bit of searching, the generals found a small, select group of shooters that could adjust it in the air after the shot. After pellets came bullets. Then came that drawback. The shooters experienced a stinging headache after a kill. It was as though the lacinite reacted to the pain of the victim and shot that pain right back at the shooter. Dr. Lacin found the headaches usually came in two bursts. First, upon hitting the target. Second, upon confirmation of the kill. 
He told the generals he needed more time to find a solution to that problem, but the military didn't give him that time. Formula in hand, they rushed Lasonite into production. And this made Dr. Lason nervous. So he asked, what if shooters exhibit severe head trauma with exposure? They're soldiers, various military officials assured him. They'll tough it out. Now, only much later did they realize the impossible and cruel nature of such a stance. And thus, they created the oath. Tough it out, man. Gotta tough this shit out. Quinlan repeated this in his head. Tough it out, man. You gotta tough this shit out. He made it to the crick, waited with his gun held overhead, and sunk beneath the surface. Tough it out, man. You gotta tough it out. The near-freezing water seemed to extinguish the fire and numb the pain. People always believed that the water from Silver Falls had healing powers. Old men regularly bathed in it, buck-ass naked, thinking it could extend their time by weeks, if not years. Quinlan stayed under as long as his lungs could let him. Then he stood back up. Water dripped off his clothes. He wiped a couple strands of hair out of his eyes. Then he stared down at his reflection in the water. Black freckles dotted his face, the family trait, and his hair looked like oil. He watched droplets roll down off a couple of these strands and plunk down into the water one by one. All seemed good again, until a massive, dark figure stalked into his view. The soldier stood up slowly, his knees cracked. He holstered his gun and walked to the mirror paid no attention to the cadet, even though the little shit had saved him. Divine intervention, he thought, at least for a hot second. For now he had to do it. Now he had to follow through on his oath. He pulled out three oak leaf pendants from his pocket and festooned them to his jacket. He smiled. He always liked the way they sparkled. Not too much, not too little. Restrained decor, his favorite. He turned to the right and left, inspecting his work in the mirror. He looked sharp, but worn. His skin didn't sag so much as it wrinkled, right around his eyes, his cheeks, his brow, his neck. Age is kind to no man. But there was always one thing that irked him about the jacket. The fit. It was too tight around the shoulders. That shouldn't happen with a bespoke suit, especially one that cost him a quarter of his combat pay back in the day. He was forced to buy it for his first promotion, and since only one shop in the town sold that specific suit, the price was jacked up. It was just one of the many ironies at Central. They'll pay for any weapon upgrade without so much as blinking at the cost, he thought. But a set of officer's blues for promotion? (laughs) Not a chance in hell. Of course, the only guy smiling about the deal was the owner of the shop, a little old tailor, The guy raked it in. A war profiteer, people joked. Even when a soldier died, they said, the little old fart makes cash off the burial suit. Now, Some thought his monopoly on the market had to do with the tailor's daughter betting, and then much later marrying a three-star general twice her age. But whatever the reasons, it never really bothered the soldier. If it wasn't this tailor, it'd be some other one. That's how the game works. Although he thought that someone else might be better at adjusting seams. With the pendants in place, he affixed the top button of his shirt. He tried to recall the few times he'd worn the thing. Once at his first promotion, once at the premier's ball, 
once when he wed the girl of his dreams, and once more at the execution of his colonel. That was the first time he'd witnessed a soldier follow through on the oath. That was a crap day. He glanced back to the splotches. A couple more seconds alone and I would have joined them, he thought. He tugged his shirt sleeves out from the ends of his jacket, double-checked his fly, and turned to the cadet. It was the first time he'd actually looked at the sap. To his surprise, the kid looked tough, gaunt. She had a set of brilliant, azure-colored eyes. She gazed up at him. He met her stare. Not in some sexual way, more of a longing of what he'd lost with age. The supple skin and flexible tendons for sure, but mostly potential. All of that, gone. Sir, ready, sir? The cadet said. The soldier looked at her. She had a hardened look. She'd no doubt been through some shit. He smiled at her and nodded. Okay, let's do this. She walked toward him, motioning him to step away. And he did. Then she reached up for the left corner of the mirror. He heard a click. The giant mirror swung open. Behind it was a long, small tunnel, just wide enough to walk in a single file. Now way down at the end flickered a small lamplight. He caught the cadet staring. He could tell she wanted to know where the tunnel led. Pray you never find out, he thought. I can't go any farther, sir, said the cadet, still staring ahead. The soldier nodded. He started to walk through the entrance, but then abruptly stopped. He turned back to face the cadet. Hey, no one will catch you if you steal a couple bites of food, he said, pointing toward the spread. Probably got three minutes to stuff your gut. A smile spread across her face. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. The soldier turned back to the opening. He tried to remember his own orders. Walk to the end, stand at the opposite opening, let your eyes adjust to the light, wait for the call from the premier, and proceed to the center of the chamber. So he did. He stepped into the walkway. He knew he wouldn't be facing a firing squad, noose, or any of the various ways Central normally eliminated its problems. No, he was above that. He was his own executioner. It growled, and it was huge, and it had those two white stripes running down its back. The Moen was rightfully pissed. It stared directly at Quinlan. But that's when something strange happened. The guilt of his earlier kill vanished, and rage replaced it. Quinlan didn't step back, didn't panic. He just stared straight ahead, right back at that Moen. And something deep within him growled too. He had a raging headache. He was soaked. He'd probably catch a cold, and he had no time to battle some lab animal that shouldn't have ever entered the woods in the first place. His woods. In one fluid motion, he drew his gun, aimed at the animal, and fired. And that's when it happened. The hollow thought. Later, he'd think it was some adrenaline-filled hallucination. And it was, sorta. He felt as though he was riding shotgun with a pellet. For real. It was like he could steer the thing. Not only that, he controlled the speed. And he went full throttle. Faster and faster and faster until the pellet flattened out like a nickel and burrowed a hole right through the chest of the moan, past its aorta, across its lungs, and clean out the other side. The last moment he had, before collapsing back into the water, 
was staring at the light that shone through the perfectly round hole he'd left in the moan's body. He recalled the big animal blinked before it too, collapsed in a heap. But again, he wasn't sure if it was real or just a really bad dream. <laughs>